Me? I'm a bold dude. I ain't trying to control you, but control B. That's Windows, fool. That's a window G, and the pin flows smooth like the wind, so free. I told you, you can't hold me. I'm a roll through like Shinobi. Got that old juice like Ginobili. Dog is so true, I'm the OG. Got this old school onslaught. I'm on top nonstop. These dots pop, bombs drop, need cough drops. <laughs> Sorry, dots pop. Too fast for my vocal cords. Move fast through the local courts of rap gasp. He's a local boy. I mean, snap, going postal boy. This cat, he's a joker boy, but no bat catching this overjoyed kids. Pastor Christ is my focal point. Good morning, church. It is so great to be with you here this morning. Let me tell you, let me tell you, when the, when the kingdom of God comes together, when, when God's body comes together in communion, in unity, to worship the Lord, to be in his presence, we truly see the kingdom of God here on earth. And, and church, that's what we're called to do, is to bring the kingdom here on earth. And I just love being here with you this morning. And, uh, and I just wanted to share that with you. And, and maybe that would have been a better point to start with. Maybe that, that's, like, that's like more of what we're used to, right? I mean, better than whatever that just was. You know, it's interesting. We have this idea of ways that sermons are supposed to start. This idea, and it's not just sermons. It's any speech that you have. You're accustomed to hearing something. Or think about the last article in a newspaper that you read. There's a certain line. Kids, when you, write a, when you write a paper for school or a paragraph, you can't just write whatever you want. You have to set up what you're going to write about in the paper, right? Have you ever watched a movie with an opening scene that doesn't make any sense? Of course not, because otherwise no one would want the movie. And even still, with these mad bars and rude flow and sick rhyme scheme that I have up here, which is all jargon to say rap, that's still in the speech mold, right? If you've ever been in a speech class, you're told, make sure you have an attention getter, right? Now, I'm hoping I caught your attention. Half of you probably are on the side that you wanted to leave because of the attention <laughs> that was getting. Half of you uh, were just uh, kind of shell-shocked and in your space because we don't expect to hear that, right? It's the same way with the writings in the New Testament. If you look through all of the writings in the New Testament, it seems as if there's a pattern. There are three ways in which they can start. You look in the book of Matthew, the first gospel, and you see the genealogy of Jesus, the family history, right? You see all of the story of what's coming, what's been happening, and it shows that Jesus is kind of the culmination of what has happened throughout Jewish history. And it leads on into the story of Jesus Christ. In the book of Mark, Mark simply says that he is writing an account of the gospel of Jesus. Pretty obvious, right? In the book of Luke, Luke addresses to whom he's speaking. O Theophilus, I'm writing an orderly account of the story of Jesus for you. In the book of Acts, it's the same thing. It's like a sequel to the book of Luke. And Luke says, O Theophilus, I wrote about this in the first book, and now I'm going to write about this in the second book. Anything that Paul wrote, both Peter epistles, Jude, James, all start with the name of the author. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Paul, a disciple of the Lord, right? 
So it's either the person who is writing, the person to whom the letter is being written to, or something setting up the book. But here, what I want to invite you to do is look in John chapter 1. And John is a little bit different. And most of us, or at least some of us, have heard John 1.1. It's a pretty common verse. And if you may be able to quote it right now. And if you can't, that's okay. Some of you might recognize it just reading it. And if you haven't ever heard it, even better. Because what I want us to do is pretend like we have never heard John 1.1. I'm going to read here John 1, 1 through 5, the way I believe John intended it to be read. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with Him in the beginning. All things were made through Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of the world. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then he goes on in verse 6 to say, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear light. So really, it looks like John kind of starts this idea, this cookie-cutter mold of how a letter starts in in verse 6. And John is so bold, he kind of preaches this mini-sermon here. It doesn't really set up the book of John. John uses a lot the, the analogy of light and dark. It's actually one of his favorite things to do. But really what he says in verses 1 through 5 is almost like, look, i got to get something off my chest. Before I even begin this letter, let me preach. Let me, let me say a few things. And that's when John... He lays down, now he doesn't have the, the mad rhyme scheme that I have, obviously. Like, work on your rhymes, John. Come on, man. But he throws down here. That's what he's doing. He's saying, hey, do you guys know the word? Well, he was with God in the beginning. Everything was made through him. John is being bold and boldly telling what is happening. Now, there were five Johns in the New Testament we know that John the Apostle wrote the book of John. We're pretty confident that he wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and Revelation. I'm going to work on the assumption that the Apostle John wrote all five books today. But just so you know, there were five Johns in the Bible. John the Baptist, John the Apostle, uh, John Mark, who we just know as Mark, who wrote the book of Mark. Uh, Simon Peter's father was named John, and there was a John on a council, which we'll talk about later in a minute. But it's only fair, it's only fair when we're talking about John that we mention his brother James. Because really, they're almost exclusively mentioned together, except maybe a few times in the book of John. Because in the book of John, John kind of has the freedom to write a little bit more about his personality, right? But otherwise, it's almost like it's always James and John, and together they're known as Boan or Gase, or the Sons of Thunder. Dude, if my dad's name was Thunder... I'd be introducing everybody. Hey, guys, me and my dad, his name's Thunder. That's so cool, right? No, their dad's name was Zebedee, but their nickname was Sons of Thunder because they were so bold like Thunder. It just kind of slaps you in the face, their boldness, right? A couple things we know about James. James was more than likely older than John. Every time they're listed, James is always listed first. It's always James and John, never John and James. 
I have an older brother named Brett. If I heard Clark and Brett, I'd be thrown off my rocker. It'd be a little weird. Because it's Brett and Clark. Sure, because people have been saying his name longer, but it's also sort of this respect thing, right? The first one's mentioned, especially in a society like this where it was more honor-shame and where being the firstborn was a big deal. Seeing James being mentioned first is a good indicator he was probably older. Also, John is, is called the brother of James. James is never called the brother of John. Another respect thing that gives us that clue. Another thing we know about James independently is that he died before John. He died a martyr. Uh, he was executed for preaching the gospel, obviously meaning that he was bold. And until that happened, like I said, other in John, these two were kind of exclusively mentioned together. So let's take a look at their boldness a little bit together in Mark chapter 10, uh, starting in verse 35. And if you're trying to keep up, we're going to look at a few verses today. Uh, they are going to be on the screen, but if you want to keep up, I encourage you to turn to Mark chapter 10, uh, verses 35 through 39. It says, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, their actual father's name, came up to him and said to him, him being Jesus, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And Jesus said to them, What do you want me to do for you? Now this is a little bit of wisdom from Jesus. Let's not overlook it. These are two of Jesus' best friends. But Jesus doesn't just blindly promise something, right? Jesus isn't about to promise something he doesn't know if he can hold up or not. So even though James and John are like, hey, yo, Jesus, what's up, bud? Hey, you want, can you do something for us? Jesus doesn't say, sure, what is it? He asks what it is first. Jesus never commits to a promise that he doesn't know he can keep. So here's what they said in verse 37. They said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized into the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. Jesus is obviously not asking James and John to get some backwash in their drink, drinking out of the same cup, right? And James and John know this. They're not fools. They know this is a metaphor. And they know the baptism isn't a water baptism. This is a metaphor for the suffering that Jesus is going to do. In fact, we see Jesus use the same metaphor at Gethsemane. When he's praying to the Lord the night before he's arrested, he cries out, he says, Father, if there's any other way, please take this cup from me. That's what he's saying here. James, John, are you able to suffer the suffering I am about to suffer? Are you able to suffer the persecutions, the trials, the tribulations? And James and John had to know what that meant, and yet they still said, we are able. And you know what? They'd prove it. We know James was martyred. John was exiled, persecuted, suffered. I encourage you, by the way, to look up the story, the legend of how John actually passed. We don't know if it's true or not, so I'm not going to say it from up here, but it's a pretty cool story. But James and John... Man, they were bold. See, James and John were actually two of Jesus' best friends. Jesus had like these circles around him. Everybody have an inner circle, a group of best friends or something like that? 
Yeah, we all have our inner circles. We have a big circle and inner. Well, Jesus has these circles around him. And on the very outside, Jesus' circle, we have Pharisees and outsiders. And really, if we wanted to, we can make Pharisees on an even bigger circle. Okay, Pharisee, he, can, he purposefully distanced himself from Pharisees. But Pharisees in the outside world, Jesus doesn't really know. Inside of that, we've got Jesus' friends and acquaintances. He might have some family members here. Maybe he has a couple of close friends inside of this, like Lazarus, or maybe John the Baptist or his mother Mary. And then inside of that, we've got the disciples, right? His 12 best friends. These guys went everywhere together. They did everything together. A lot of times we think of the disciples as followers of Jesus. But if you think about it, if you spend years with the same 13 people, you're going to grow pretty close together. You're going to have your ups and downs. You're going to have your arguments. You're going to have your laughs. You're going to have your good times. These guys were friends. They hung out all the time. But even within that, Jesus had three best friends, Peter, James, and John. And in this story here, James and John are saying it's not good enough to be two out of the top three. James and John are like, we're going to cut Peter out. Maybe not the most noble thing, but still shows their boldness. And it seems to be a theme that Jesus' best friends are bold. I mean, Peter is basically synonymous with boldness. Many of us know a lot of stories about Peter. Peter is one of the boldest characters in the whole Bible. In fact, let's look at the bold resume of Peter. Peter was always the first one to speak, right? Anytime Jesus said something, Peter responded. Anytime there was a question to be asked, Peter asked it. Anytime somebody brought up something that Peter didn't like, he would speak out and rebuke. He didn't always think before he talked, right? That's one of the things we tell our kids. Make sure I think before you speak, before you act. Peter didn't always do that, but he was definitely bold. On top of that, Peter was the first to proclaim Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah. Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And Peter's like, yeah, it's uh, you know, John the Baptist, you're Elijah. And Jesus says, but who do you say I am? You being plural, the disciples, who do you say I am? Peter's the one that speaks up and says, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the first one to boldly proclaim it. Kindly speaking, Peter removed the ear of a soldier arresting Jesus. That's a kind way to say that, with a sword. Peter actually rebuked Jesus. <laughs> Obviously, again, not the most noble thing, but shows us the boldness of Peter. Peter preached at Pentecost. After Jesus ascended to heaven, Peter was the one to speak up among the disciples, the one to take the lead. And Peter was the one in Acts chapter 2 who was preaching the word in tongues. Acts 2.38, believe and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of God and the Holy Spirit, right? That is Peter's sermon. He's bold. And he also walked on water. The only disciple to do that. What's interesting is we have three accounts of the walking on water story. Only one account in the book of Matthew, tells about Peter walking on water. The other two apparently weren't that concerned with it. But let's go ahead and look at the book of Matthew. Because I want to read about the way that Peter walks on water. And a little background, Jesus' cousin or relative, or however we want to say it, has just died. John the Baptist has been executed. And Jesus is upset. He's grieving. Jesus actually goes to the other side of the Sea of Galilee just so he can be by himself to pray and grieve and mourn. 
and of course, a huge crowd follows him. Jesus is a celebrity. People love being around him. So he winds up teaching them, healing them, being with them, feeds 5,000 people lunch from five loaves of bread and two fish. You know that story? Yeah, Jesus wasn't even trying to be there. <laughs> Jesus was trying to get away, yet he still took time for these people. And after that was over, he sent the disciples on a boat. He sent the people away, and finally he went on top of a mountain to pray, to grieve, to mourn. And just a little side note. Never feel like you're weak for doing so. Jesus was 100% human and 100% God. And here Jesus gives an example. When we're going through pain, when we're going through suffering, it's okay to grieve. It's okay to mourn. It's okay to seek out God. It's okay to be one-on-one and give the Lord all of your concerns. It's okay to cry. Never forget that. Even Jesus, the most powerful human who's ever existed, went by himself to grieve and to mourn. And after he was done with that, it was really early or really late, depending on how you want to do it. For me, it's probably really late. It could be between 2 and 6 in the morning. For others, it might be really early, 2 and 6 in the morning. Uh, That's about the time we're looking at. And Jesus starts walking on the water out to the disciples who were on a boat in the middle of the storm. And here's what happened when the disciples see Jesus. In verse 26 of Matthew chapter 14. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. And they said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Many of us know that Peter would then take his eyes off Jesus and focus on the storm. He'd begin to sink, and Jesus would have to pull him out and rescue him. And it's always like this emotional, like, yeah, it's pretty cool that Peter walked on water, but also, dude, why'd you stop looking at Jesus? Come on, man. He's right there. But I think our English translations do a little bit of a disservice to us on this story. See, in all three accounts, the same Greek words are used when Jesus is describing who he is. See, when Jesus is coming across the water, he says, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid, right? But he's not just saying, "Uh, yeah, guys, it's just me, it's your buddy, it's your pal, it's Jesus. You know, we hang out. Yeah, I beat you at tetherball last week, you remember that? Yeah, Yeah, we good, right? It's just me, don't worry about it. No, Peter, Jesus says something specific, and this is one of my favorite nuggets in the whole Bible, right? Jesus says the words, ego eimi, which is not give Amy a box of waffles, okay? That's not what ego eimi is. Ego is a box of waffles. Ego eimi is two words. Ego, the word we get ego from, is I, okay? And eimi is a to-be verb, first person present, which is am. It seems that the authors intentionally say Jesus is saying who he is. I am. Yahweh, the God of your your fathers of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yahweh, I am. And Peter, of course, the bold one, he speaks out. And he doesn't say, Jesus, if it's you, my friend, 
If it's the guy I've hung out with for so long, call me to come to you. Peter says, Esue, which means if you are or if you exist. It seems in this moment that Peter actually says, He is the Lord. He is the Yahweh. And of course he's the one to speak out. And of course he's the one to walk on the water. Peter was always bold. I'm going to read a little bit in Acts chapter 4. And here we see a story of Peter and John together. Two of the most bold people in the whole New Testament. Really in the whole Bible. Really in the whole history. Let's just say that. Humanity, okay? They're two bold people. And they're together. Without James. John's independent of James. And in Acts chapter 4, here's what's going on. Peter and John go to the temple, as was custom, to pray. There was a man, a beggar, a lame man. Not a man who wasn't cool. Lame being he can't walk. A man who couldn't walk. Hadn't been able to walk since birth. And as, he's, as he, they go up to the temple, this man is on the steps, and he asked them for money, as he had done for so long that everybody in the area knew who he was. That's how he ate. He couldn't get a job. He couldn't walk. He couldn't move. And Peter and John tell him, look me in the eyes. It's a respect thing. And I'm sure this man has been through the dance enough that he thinks I'm going to get a little bit of money here. But Peter says to him, I don't have any silver or gold. Here's what I do have. What I do have I will give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. And the man disobeyed. Because he got up and leaped. He was jumping for joy. He wasn't just walking. This dude had never, ever walked in his life. And the dude was jumping. And something I feel like we might overlook is, have you ever heard of muscle atrophy? When you don't use your muscles for a long time, they start to shrivel up and shrink until they basically go to where you can't see them at all. Well, if this man's never been able to use his legs to walk, Can you imagine how small his legs must be? And it actually says in the text that his feet grew strong. Like, can you imagine the people? It's obviously not a hoax. It's obviously not that this guy was faking and all of a sudden he can jump. Right? This guy was obviously lame and now his feet have grown. His muscles have grown. I can imagine just like looking at this guy's feet and just go like a balloon into some muscle to where he's jumping around and leaping and praising the Lord. And everybody sees this guy and they say, we know him. Isn't that the lame guy that can't walk? Isn't that, that's the same beggar. And he clings to Peter and John, and says, these guys healed me. These guys made me walk. And the crowd gathers, and Peter and John boldly teach the gospel, the name of Jesus Christ. But uh uh-oh, it's in Jerusalem. It's at the temple. We don't know about Jesus being the Messiah. In fact, if Peter and John are wrong, they're committing blasphemy. This is a big deal. They're claiming that some revolutionary who just died and supposedly went back to heaven is the Messiah. And the people didn't like it. 
it was already late, so they just threw him in jail. They spent the night in jail, and they came back, and the next day, the people asked him, how did you heal this guy? By what power? How in the world did you do that? And Peter and John speak up together and say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one you crucified. Talk about bold. Talk about bold. Not only is it clearly stating it's Jesus, it's the Christ, it's the one from Nazareth, in case you were confused, and it's the one you're responsible for killing. They boldly speak in the name of Jesus. And here's what's interesting. As we read in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Now when they, the council, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. They recognized they had been with Jesus. Look, I'm guilty a lot of reading the Old Testament, of reading in the New Testament, of seeing all these heroes of faith, right? Peter and John are a couple. But think through the Bible of all these guys we've always looked up to, all these women we've always looked up to, all these people we've heard about, the stories have been about, we've looked up to. And I find myself guilty so often of thinking, I'm just some kid from South Texas. What? Jesus can't use me like that? I can't be a Peter. I can't be a John. I can't be a Ruth. I can't be a Moses. I can't be a Mary. I can't be these people. I'm just Clark. But the council recognized Peter and John are common, uneducated men. Church, don't don't ever... Don't ever feel like you cannot be used by the Lord. The Lord sees potential in you. The Lord sees your strengths. The Lord sees your gifts. The Lord sees your personality. And church, the Lord will use you if you let him. He used common, uneducated men to be two of the most influential people in the Christian church. So they told Peter and John, Hey, don't, don't, don't do that again. Bad boy, bad boy, what you going to do, what you going to do when they come for you? Slap on the wrist. Don't do that again. Hey, stop preaching about Jesus. Stop it. It's not good. We don't want to hear that anymore. But they legally can't do anything. And here's what Jesus said as Aiden so, uh, so eloquently spoke. Here's what they say in verses 19 and 20. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot speak of what we have seen and heard. Are we supposed to listen to you or to the Lord? Look, you do with us what you want, but we will not listen to you. We will listen to the word of the Lord. We know what we've seen. We know what we've heard. And we can't help but speak about it. It was in the identity of who these two are. It's all they can think about. It's all they can talk about. The boldness of speaking with Jesus. After this, they were 
further threatened, hey, don't do that again. And the believers came together and they prayed. And here's what they said as they're asking God for strength, as they're asking God for guidance, as they're, as they're asking God for sustenance as they continue their journey of preaching the gospel. Here's what they say in Acts chapter 4, verse 29 through 31. Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal as signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. i got a confession to make. I've been here for a little less than six months. Believe it or not, it's been almost six months. feels like a couple weeks. I'm fairly new here. I know a lot of you on a first-name basis. I know some of you a little bit deeper than that. Some of you know me a little bit deeper than a first-name basis. Some of you heard me say Clark and thought, oh, that's that guy's name. And here's a couple things you might know about me. You might know I'm a children's minister. You might know I love kids. You might know I love teaching kids the gospel. I hope you do. But that's this circle. I've got to be honest, there are circles that don't know that. Here's another thing you know about me. I'm a rapper, obviously. <laughs> another thing you know about me. I love sports. Specifically the San Antonio Spurs, my favorite team of all time. And most of you know me as a big Chiefs fan because of our recent success, right? You knew I couldn't preach a sermon without talking about the Chiefs winning a Super Bowl, right? And what else do you know about me? What else? Like the fact that my identity is wrapped up and that I love sports? There were people that don't know much about me, but they know one thing. They know I love basketball, and they know I love the Spurs. And how wrong is that? Like Peter and John, their whole being, their whole purpose, their whole existence was to preach the gospel. No matter what setting, no matter what the consequences, were they able to bear the cup? Yes, they were. Were they able to be baptized into the baptism with which Jesus was baptized? Yes, they were. And I sit here and I look at myself and I ask myself, am I bold enough? And church, are you? What do people know you for? What do people know you for? Be honest. And if it's anything other than being a speaker, a preacher, a teacher, a something that gives the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, then it's not enough. And I'm in the same boat. Look, it's not wrong to like sports. It's not wrong to love the Spurs. But what's my identity in? How boldly am I living the gospel? How boldly do people know that I teach? 
the story of Jesus Christ. Because see, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Let the light shine. Live boldly in the name of Jesus Christ. Do not let the darkness overtake the light inside of you. Let's pray. God, we love you. And we pray that everybody knows it. Not just a few circles, not just our friends at church, but God, let our identity be known and wrapped up in the fact that we are advocates of your gospel. We love you. And we pray you give us strength to give us sustenance, to continue to teach your word, to continue to show others the light with all boldness. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.